From the Financial Times in New York, I'm John Authors and this is FT News. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, two government-supported enterprises set up to make mortgages more affordable to Americans. But the system was rocked to its foundations during the 2008 housing slump and the government had to bail them out. And now... Critics say the home loan agencies are back at it using taxpayer support to be a force in the commercial property market. Our US financial correspondent Alistair Gray has been following the story. So Alistair, to start, explain what these agencies are actually designed to do and how they are operated. Well, they're designed to make, as you noted at the top, uh, housing more affordable to Americans. That's mainly through their um, role in standing behind owner-occupied sing- so-called single-family mortgages, and that's very well known. What's less well known is that they also play a role in the so-called multifamily market. This is involving loans, uh, not to individuals, but to companies that own commercial properties that are rental housing. Basically, they are lending directly to investors, wealthy people like famously at the moment, Sean Hannity, who uh, are holding big blocks of housing as an investment. They're not just lending directly to poor people. They're not lending directly. As as is the case with the uh, single family business, the lending is done via commercial lenders. But uh, what they do is securitize these loans. So they, they guarantee in the event of default that they, uh, under, under certain circumstances, they step in to cover uh, mispayments. Now, a lot of us would think, and this is the kind of thing which unifies economists on the left and the right, that there's really not much need for the government to get involved in uh, underwriting guarantees, making it easier to finance a market like that. What is the justification for Fannie and Freddie being involved in, in that market? Well, if you think, if you're questioning why Fannie and Freddie are involved in the uh the single family business, you're going to have a much even more of a problem with with this stuff. Because in the case of the, the owner occupied mortgages, the subsidy is is direct. It's pretty clear that, you know, Joe Bloggs buying his um house in the suburbs is, you know, he's getting a, a cheaper mortgage than he otherwise would because of Fanning Freddie and he gets to pay it back over thirty years of the fixed interest rate, which is great. The multifamily business I mean, the aim is to make the rents more affordable to the end tenants. But you've got to go through several hoops to get there because the renter obviously isn't taking out a mortgage. The renter's renting the property from the landlord. It's the landlord who's getting the cheaper mortgage from Fannie and Freddie. But how, how much of that benefit is captured by the landlord and how much is passed on to the tenant is at least open to question. I mean, clearly, most of what Fannie and Freddie in this corner of the market is designed to uh, facilitate rental housing for low and median owners. But you enter with, with a story about Sky Residences, which is in Manhattan's Hell's Kitchen, which for those who don't know, New York is currently one of the nicest places to be finding a new house. And it's a 71-story tower. And rents for such places are already going through the roof, which suggests there's plenty of demand and there's obviously supply. Do we really need the government to help out people putting up huge new glossy towers in midtown Manhattan? Incidentally, I didn't particularly mean to pick on that example. That just happened to be an example that I kind of chose. But there's also there's countless other examples of things like that all across New York City, San Francisco, and indeed right across the US. These really luxury high-end apartments in which the owner 
has uh, received financial backing from the US taxpayer via Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The one case you mentioned here, one-bedroom apartments go for $6,500 a month, which, again, doesn't doesn't sound like something that really needs to be helped out with a subsidy. And that's not and that's not even the most egregious uh, example by by some way. I, I came across one example uh, buried in the. I mean, these are all kind of publicly disclosed in a very obscure corner of the agency's website. It takes quite a while to dig into all these examples, but I came across one that were being rented out for more than thirty thousand dollars a month. I mean, that is you know so far. Uh, apart from the idea of workforce housing is to be kind of almost comical. But but before we shouldn't go any further before mentioning that the developers in New York are given tax breaks if they set aside, you know, a fifth of the units. And of course, the applications are, you know, I don't know what the ratios are, but they get, you know, they get thousands of uh, people applying in a lottery. I mean, whether or not that's a sensible way to run US housing is kind of a, a, a one for another day, probably. Okay, now let's talk about perhaps the one issue that really has annoyed people about Fannie and Freddie over the years and that which was perhaps where they played their most critical role 10 years ago in uh, fueling the, the housing crash is the notion of crowding out they have this implicit government guarantee that means people can't compete with them and they force private capital elsewhere. Notoriously, in 2008, we found out that private capital that couldn't match Fannie and Freddie was instead lending subprime to people who really had no chance of uh, paying back. Are there other private sector lenders who could be in this market, and where are they going if Fannie and Freddie really are crowding people out? Yes. In fact, the, the genesis of this story originally was a completely separate piece that I wrote about a year ago about um, regulators um, warning about bubbly, frothy commercial real estate market. And one of the bankers mentions, well, you do, you do realise that Fannie and Freddie are behind an awful lot of this. I mean, Fannie and Freddie compete head on with commercial banks, life insurance companies and other institutional investors in providing this type of finance. Now, what appetite the private sector has for funding affordable housing is very open to question. And the sort of consensus is that actually Fannie and Freddie do help to play a very important role in making rental housing more affordable. But we're speaking at a time where, you know, interest rates ticking higher, but um, private capital has, has been searching for, for a home. Uh, looking for places to put money and uh, commercial real estate has been one of the favoured yeah. sectors. So there's hardly a, a shortage of, uh, you know, p- people to fund these um, these glistening towers in uh, Midtown. Well, thank you, Alistair. And I think one final question, which perhaps all of us should be considering, is the political one. Uh, Fannie and Freddie have had different purposes over the years, but one thing they are plainly meant to do is reduce inequality, make it easier for people at the bottom of society to have a good life, the trappings of a middle-class existence. We know that there are deep problems with inequality in this country and that that is a large part of the degree of anger in politics at the moment. I'm not quite sure myself how politicians on either the left or the right will feel about Fanny and Freddie getting involved in the things they're getting involved in at present. Uh, And if you'd like to read Alistair's story in full, you can find it on ft.com. Thanks, Alistair.